right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. What are our goals this year on the show? We have any? Do we have any New Year's resolutions? I don't. Not off the top of my I head. I kind of stopped doing the New Year's resolutions things. You know, I you actually. Still, you, what's interesting, and and I'm not I'm not disparaging this. It's whatever works for you. But what's interesting, you still do Lent. I do. So but that's that's different. It is different, but it, it's just it's interesting. Um, I just you're really and I'm and I'm sure you could stick to a New Year's resolution. It's just interesting. You do a good job sticking to your. Whatever you decide to do for life. Oh, I see what you're saying. Because it's the same. Well, but that that almost feels like there's light at the end of the tunnel. Because it's like okay, it's forty a, days. You know, it's yeah, two months basically, right? Yeah. Um, I think um, adding there's not to get too deep here, but there's this there's this um, there's this uh, philosophy in Japanese culture called called kaizen, okay. which is just the process of getting better every single day. Um, and the, a lot of, what's funny is a lot of like, um, the reason, one of the reasons a lot of like Japanese cars are so good is because they, they bring that concept and that philosophy into, um, their quality assurance and their quality control areas of their business. And so it's the concept of getting better every single day. Um, and they, you have these things where they're called Kaizen bursts, which that's a lot of improvement in a very short period of time. And then I can't remember what the other term is, but the other term is just for uh, smaller improvements over the course of time. But anyway, the point is, I think whether it be a New Year's resolution or just an everyday thing, if you make it a point to be honest with yourself that you you did a little bit better every single day. Because a successful year is just 365 successful individual days. You're not going to have a successful year on January 1st. It takes the whole year. Yeah, and I have a couple things, like, obviously you want to do in 2022, but I just, I don't know. I feel like they don't hold. But if, if you have one, then I was, great. Good on you. In general, I try to read, I try to see 80 movies I've never seen before and read 40 books I've never read before. That's a lot better than I have. So far, Anything. so good. Well, for KU, that New Year's resolution, I don't know what it might be. Uh, it might be... Play better than they did on January 1st, which I guess would be in 2022. So they did a... They started off bad. Yeah. Uh, so not great there. Um, that was just kind of a, I don't know, kind of a stinker of a game, honestly, between... It looked a lot like how I expect the uh, the T-Mobile Center game to look every year. That is actually probably a pretty good comparison. I, I would still say it got louder than that, more energetic, but... I was there. I, I would say, I don't know, if, if there's room in there for 16-5, about that many people, like, it wasn't a full house. But again, like, I, I'm not claiming it's it's not anybody's fault that it wasn't a full house. 48 like, hours. Yeah, they bought tickets. Like, I know alumni purchased tickets just so they could uh, keep the sellout going. Um, but it just, yeah, you had, uh, 
a game that was yeah, scheduled so late. Yeah, it was two days on New Year's Day, where a lot of people already have travel plans. They're going to be out of town or something, or they might just be, you know, hungover, wanting to watch all the football games going on. Like, yeah. there's so many reasons to not go. And on top of it all, there was uh, a snowstorm, a sleet storm, whatever you want to call it. I think um, if the weather is the if the weather is like it is today, you get 16 in there. Oh, I agree, 100. Uh, percent So that was probably the biggest reason. I would say there was, I don't know, maybe 12,000, 13,000 in there. Like, uh, the corners were a little sparse. It, it didn't get up to where, like, the bleachers were. And if you go a few rows below those, it would be more, like, mixed. Like, maybe you'd have uh, three out of ten people were sitting in a row or something like that. So, uh, But it, it was still a very good attended considering all of those things that happened. Uh, but it just wasn't a normal Allen Fieldhouse vibe because of that. Again, not anybody's fault. It's just what it was. And KU had 48 points at the half on George Mason, and it kind of felt like at the end of that half, okay, they they were kind of playing tight back and forth early part of the first half, and then they started to pull away. And it felt like, here we go in the second half. This is going to be more of what we saw of KU at the end of the first half. They're on pace to score nearly 100 points. And then they just sleptwalked the rest of the second half. Um, 28 points in the second half. They only end up with 76 in the game. I think the 44% that they shot from the field was the lowest they've shot this year. I'm pretty sure every other game they've shot 48% or higher. So this isn't just a new low this season. This is by far a new low. Didn't shoot great from three. Didn't shoot great from the free throw line, which is continuing to be kind of a weird trend that, who knows, that might unearth it at some point later this year. And George Mason didn't really have a great offensive game either. They just shot threes really well, which was partially due to some things that Kansas was doing, I'm sure, defensively. But also, you know, when you shoot 41% from three on 27 attempts, that's going to help buoy the offense and, and keep you a little bit closer in the game than maybe you would have thought. Um, but yeah, just kind of a weird game, kind of a sleepwalking game. I don't know that you can properly do this because if you're playing a different opponent, maybe the fact that you know, you're playing George Mason. It's a last minute game, a game that is as a player, you're originally going to play a big 12 opponent. And now you're playing this game. I, I don't know. I would just think as a 22, 21, 20 year old kid, the day after new year's Eve, mm -hmm. one of the biggest party days of the year for college students, I would just think that would be a little bit tougher to get up for. Yeah. And I'll say, and, and it wasn't, you know, we, we went through, and I can't remember if we said this on the air. I know we went through the list off the air, but did we wind up saying on the air this is their first New Year's Day game since that big one against Georgia Tech in Yes, 05? it was. And, and the big and, difference and there is that was a top that five game. Georgia Tech mm -hmm. team that had beat you in the Elite Eight the year before. It was two top, I don't know if it was top five, certainly two top ten teams. So, yeah, you can get up for that one in that game. Actually, that game started really slow for the Jayhawks and against Georgia Tech, and they wound up winning in overtime. But, yes, the opponent was very, very different, although George, you have that in common. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I um, it, it felt like one of those games, if this team goes on to have a great season, and in future years when we look back on their schedule, we're going to go through, oh, yeah, and they played that game. I mean, that, that's yeah. all this is going to be. Um, did you ever feel, because I know my answer to this, but I'm interested in yours, did you ever feel threatened by George Mason at any point when it was got that to like seven I I really didn't the whole first half or anything I, I'm I, talking late yeah yeah it, it was a it was a five-point game I think I think it was like 66 61 or it something like right. that 60 
seven sixty two maybe. Yeah, it, it was it was five points, and that was there was a moment there, and I think George Mason might have had the ball too because KU I think missed the shot, and, and there was there was a possession where it was a close game too, and this might have either been at like five, seven, or eight where KU had like three open threes. They weren't like wide open threes, but yeah, they were like open they, enough. Um, and they just make. passed up on him. And then okay. they ended up with like a turnover or something. And that was like, oh my gosh, like what what is going on here? But it was never like an, an ultra moment of panic. But I will say this, and, and I was going to get to this uh, earlier, but I kind of got sidetracked by that New Year's Eve point. I, I, you can't really do this because you don't know how they're going to get motivated for different games. And, and maybe a different game, maybe playing TCU you and I'm not saying like we don't know for sure I don't I don't know maybe they were maybe they weren't partying I I have no idea and and I don't really care um but if it is TCU maybe things are changed but that said if you have that performance against George Mason against any of the big 12 game teams you probably lose that game yeah I think you're right but I also think I, I also think you're right in saying you probably don't at least not often have that performance I don't think you would have had that I I think the circumstances were such that they just played meh. It reminded mm-hmm. me a lot of the UTEP game, and I didn't. I don't even say that because I made the T-Mobile comparison early. T-Mobile Center comparison earlier. It just I made it because, um, you know, it was like Nevada. Nevada was one of those games where it, you could describe the first half as very similar. That they you know, in both games it was it was a little back and forth uh, between Nevada and KU in the first half and um, George Mason and KU in the first half. And then KU at the end of the first half against Nevada had that amazing run. I think they got a breakaway, and then at one point Remy Martin canned a late three. It was just, uh, you know, a, a good, like, 8 nothing run in that half. And then KU took that and ran with it and wound up, you know, blowing Nevada out of the water. Uh, they just didn't do that in the second half. But, yeah, I, I agree that there are a lot of Big 12 teams you don't beat if you play like that, but I don't know... I just think the circumstances surrounding it have to do with why yeah, they played that. You just way. don't know the chicken in the egg. I and, never, and that's, yeah. I never, well, excuse me, never once felt threatened um, in that game. Even, even when I just, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I take too many things for granted. I just kept thinking, okay, yeah, this is gonna gonna wind up being a game we win, and it's just annoying. It was just ugly and gross, mm-hmm. and we're like, come on. It never reached the oh bleep moment that the yeah, Stephen yeah, F. Yeah. Austin game did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you're exactly right, yes. That was that was a game where it was legitimately other. And, and, hey, it may be worth noting now they've had two of those games in their last three. So, But, again, weird things happen. Um, I'm, I'm, I could very well be wrong, but I expect a better performance tomorrow night. Yeah, 100%. Um, now, that said, obviously you were also missing Remy Martin, which – that can be a, a tangible difference in the, in the game. Yeah. Um, I just saw this. Gary Bedore tweeted this out. Bill Self said from the team bus that Remy Martin, who had a swollen and stiff knee, which was the reason he missed that game, he practiced today. Okay. And he is okay health-wise heading into Tuesday's game at Ohio at Oklahoma State. I would be interested in – this is a question I always love when coaches are asked. Um, if this was an NCAA tournament game, would he play? I'd be interested, and not not tomorrow. I'm talking mm-hmm. the the shape he was in Saturday. Yeah, I would have been interested in that being asked, but that's also it's kind of early to be asking those sorts of questions. But it just just to give you an idea, you can always get an idea of how, um, and sometimes self will volunteer the information where he he said before if this was a game where we needed him, he would 
you know, he would word it in such a way like if this was a must win, he would be in. I wonder if that's the case. Nobody asked him, and I'm I'm fine with that. They don't need to ask him. But I would have been interested in Self's mindset. Had Saturday been, you know, a you need it to win the Big 12 or it's an NCAA tournament game, um, would Remy have played? Again, I, I don't know what the answer would have been. Um, but hopefully, yeah, hopefully he, he comes out. It's it's a luxury to have players. Um, I can't, I don't think Remy Martin would have played any better than Jalen Coleman lands did. No. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe it worked out. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the offense, you can easily point to say they only had 76 points. They only had 28 points in the second half. They had their lowest field goal shooting percentage, all those things to say, those are exact reasons why Remy Martin is missed and, and that he can create for your offense. He hasn't been uh, one of your two best offensive players so far, though. Um, and, and I like, I think there is clearly, like, I, I don't want to make this sound like KU is not better without or with Remy Martin. They are clearly a better offense. They are clearly a better team with Remy Martin in the lineup. I want to make that clear. I also don't think we should take that one game as gospel. A, it's one game. B, like I said, the the circumstances of, of everything that went on in the game, the, uh, you know, day after New Year's and, and kind of a weird environment and everything. But also KU, it's not that KU, like, didn't get open looks from three in that game that they just missed. That happened in the game. Yeah. They If if they have a good shooting game and they hit two more threes... And we're, yeah, we're not having this discussion. No, you're winning I by mean, double digits. You're scoring even, in the 80s. Even, and we all remember, uh, we, we got to see or got or had to see firsthand um, that Villanova team in 2018, what they looked like when they were on. Even that team had a couple games... Um, in the regular season, that you that you saw them lose in, in a, to a Big East opponent, and I can't I, I can't remember specifics, but the point is, they just had games where you're like, "Are you serious?" That one, yeah. And so these things happen. You you have great shooting teams still miss shots sometimes. Well, and I don't I don't say that again. Like KU again, better offense, better team with Remy Martin. I'm just saying. I don't think we should panic to say, oh, if they don't have Remy it's Martin, now they go bad. to... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so that's good. But you mentioned Jalen Coleman-Lance. Unbelievable game. Mitch Lightfoot as well, coming off the bench, made every shot he took except for the free throws. 7 of 7 from the field, 14 points. He was fantastic after Dave really struggled in that game. We're going to talk more about that dynamic. And uh, Bill Self talked about how, how Mitch is going to start, uh, at least in this game, uh, against Oklahoma State. So we'll talk about that uh, coming up here in... A bit, but this was really the the first time in a while that I thought the depth paid off for KU because early on in the season, like Michigan State, it was Ochag Baji and the depth. That was the story. And early yeah. on in the season, you would have Bobby Pettiford come off the bench or Zach Clements would hit a couple threes. And and the depth was a story. It was a big part in why KU was being successful. And then at some point along the way there, I don't know if it was game four, game five, six, somewhere in there. The depth started to, to maybe taper off a little bit, and it wasn't as impactful as it had been. And then over these last three or four games, we had the rotation condensed, where it was basically six, seven guys in the rotation for KU, and nobody really else was cracking meaningful minutes. 
And this game, you had to have the depth pay off because of the fact that Remy was out, because of the fact that you already had to have some of the depth move up to the starting rotation. You needed to have other guys step up as well with Ochag Baji and Christian Brown missing, I think, a combined 19 shots in that game, both having really their their first off shooting nights together as, as a duo. I'm not expecting that to continue, but you needed somebody to step up. And so far, there have been times this year where you looked at it and, and kind of wondered if this was more of just a two-man show, and, and would anybody else kind of reach those levels? Uh, well, you got that. Jalen yeah. Coleman-Lands and Mitch Lightfoot provided that. You don't win that game without either one of them. Jalen Coleman-Lands had the game, and I'm talking about him specifically because he's a transfer. Um, Jalen Coleman-Lands had the game that you said that you expect Yesifu to have at some point this yes. year. Yes. And I, I still agree with you that that game is is still somewhere in, in, in there for Joe Yesifu. But that, that was what I kept thinking during that game. was That's the game that you have said all along that this is what Joe Yesifu will do at some point this year. And Jalen Coleman-Lands did exactly that. This is why you brought, well, honestly, you may have brought him in thinking he was going to play more often than he does. But you brought him here because you know he's capable of exactly what he showed you Saturday. Um, and that's big. And, and, and the, fa- the fact that he was willing to not not just willing able to do that i think a lot of people a lot of players are willing like a lot of people talk about selfishness and and team play and that sort of stuff i think there are a lot of players who are willing to say okay yeah fine i'll ride the bench and Mm -hmm. and do what i need to make what's best for the team and that's fine but very few players are willing to maintain focus throughout riding the bench riding the bench riding the bench and then when your number's called bam and that's what's most impressive to me. It's great that he has that attitude of, yes, I'm willing to sit on the bench and do what I need to do for the team, but the fact that he's capable of turning it on at a moment's notice when his team needs it, a lot of players don't have that. No, they do not. He he is unconscious with how he plays. Like, And I mean that in the, the most, like, the best possible way because when you are a guy who does come off the bench and, and needs to be that guy, like, there's going to be games where Jalen Coleman-Lands, we've seen this before, where he just goes 0 for 3, plays 6 minutes, self-pulls him because he doesn't have the hot hand, and says, you know, that's kind of what you're in for. It's, it's to shoot and to score, and if you're not feeling it, then we'll go with somebody else. Um, but there's going to be, I, I think, probably not maybe to that level where you score 20 points. Like, yeah. I, I would take the under on another 20-point game the rest of the way. Um, but could there be another game where Jalen Coleman-Lands comes off the bench and goes 3 of 4 from 3 and has 11, 12 points? Absolutely. He's almost like a bullpen arm if you were allowed to bring bullpen arms back in. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he's one of those guys where, like, in baseball, if you have an amazing— if you have a guy that you think is can be incredible from the bullpen and he comes in and, he ha- you know, he throws— four bad pitches, you don't have the luxury where you can just pull him because that's not how baseball works and you don't have that depth of bullpen and you can't bring back a player in baseball after they've already been uh, taken off the field. But that's what he reminds me of. He kind of reminds me of of a great bullpen arm except for the fact that it's a sport where you can guys can come and go off the on and off the bench. So that that's it's it's not a perfect comparison, but that's the best way I can explain it. All right, he's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's talk more about the Mitch Lightfoot moving into the starting lineup over David McCormick. Coming up next, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.
Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. About half past three, we've got some Bill Self press conference audio to share for you. He spoke with the media earlier today before I think they uh, took off to go down to Stillwater to take on Oklahoma State tomorrow. You can hear that here on KLWN 630 is when pregame starts with tip-off at 8 o'clock, and there will be a new face in the starting lineup for the second straight time. Last time, it was because of injury with Remy Martin out, Jalen Wilson into the starting lineup. This time, I guess we'll wait and see. Remy Martin, as I mentioned earlier, the tweet from Gary Bedore, sounds like he's going to play. I would assume he starts, but who knows? I guess it's possible he comes off the bench and they ease him into things. Um, But assuming he starts, the only difference to the starting lineup from what we're used to seeing would be Mitch Lightfoot over David McCormick. Bill Self mentioned in the post game after the George Mason game, because Dave struggled. He played 10 minutes. He scored just one point. He went 0 of 3 from the field, missed bunnies, had trouble catching balls, things that we've seen uh, plenty of times. And he also, it was it was a bit of a tough matchup for him defensively as well. George Mason plays smaller. Their big, men's, uh, their big men can hit threes. And that gave Dave's troubles on both ends of the court. Um, he said in the post game afterwards that maybe it's time to look into Mitch playing more today at his press conference, which again, we'll play that audio in a little here. He did basically just say he, he said Mitch is going to start over Dave. Um, it wasn't like a certain timetable. I'm sure Dave could work back into the starting lineup, but uh, obviously this is a move that has been something we've been interested to see if it would happen because last year there was a lot of conversation like this like do you replace Dave and it never happened and Bill Self at the end of the day I think came to the idea that the best version of last year's team involved Dave uh, picking up his play that might still be the answer to this team but because of the fact that Mitch Lightfoot I think has played very well and given you very respectable minutes off the bench I think it makes the decision a little bit easier to be able to make that exchange yeah we, we've talked a lot in those Mitch and Dave conversation and I still maintain with what I've said all year that this team I don't know if they're a national title contender without Dave at his best what I do know is they are when he is at his best the problem is I I agree with this move what frustrates me is not with the move it's that it's kind of become necessary because I I do think that the best version of this team is when Dave is playing his best I think his best is better than any other big man's best on this team. And the I problem is we haven't seen it nearly enough. And then also because of um, partly because of depth and partly because of Mitch Lightfoot's recent performances, you have the luxury of, of making this decision. I think I think there's something you know, and we talked about this in the offseason, that depth. Not only does depth give you give you the luxury of more options in terms of what your lineup is going to be, it also means practices become more competitive and more difficult. And I wonder how much be going up against Dave and going up against Clements and going up against KJ Adams has helped Mitch Lightfoot. Yeah, and in well. the fact that he's forty, <laughs> I think that yeah, that might be the big thing. He's just older than everyone um, in a young man's sport. Uh, you know, I, I I agree with you about Dave because of the fact that, although it's it's starting to inch on me because for the longest time I've said, well, Dave is just, when he's right, 
Dave has your best ability to throw the ball in the post, go make something happen, score a bucket. Zach mm-hmm. Clements just isn't strong enough on the post yet. He's an awesome option as a stretch five, and you can do different things with that. Um, they're just different, but as far I love as like him post as, our, score, as the third or fourth option yes. on this team. And eventually, I'm sure he will become yeah. that, right? Uh, we've seen so many great big men develop under with, um I forget his name, the, the, the new... He's not new anymore, but the, the guy who we always said once he gets once he gets a couple years with Hootie, he'll be strong and great. And and now with the um, I forget his name, but the guy who replaced Hootie, oh uh, Ramsey Nijem. Yeah, once he gets once he gets a couple once Clemens gets some years in that strength and conditioning program, he'll he'll be really in a good spot with KJ Adams. Good ball mover, good passer for when he's in as a four or five man. Uh, really good defender. Uh, does a lot of little things, but again, not a guy you're gonna feel super comfortable giving the ball on the, on the block, especially because he's six seven and just shooting like a hook shot or, or making some moves on the post. Uh, Mitch more so was in there for hustle plays, and you know he'll, he'll be able to do maybe some of the the taut things like seal off a defender or if you have a certain play that's gonna get an easy bucket for a big man as long as he you know is in the right position or something. Um, he's a real heady player. And I, that will, that will make it work for Mitch, uh, but I think what we've almost seen this year is he's been more efficient on the block. I mean, perfect example was that game. That wasn't a game where he went seven for seven, just off of all dunks and stuff like that. Like yes, and he misses. Did have, it wasn't like it, no. they were all, you know, it wasn't Easy like four, It's not you know, it's not like ten of his points came from. A rebound, and he was right there for a putback. He was hitting hook shots. He was doing those things that you expect David McCormick to do. And I think for that reason, I do start to wonder, maybe the patience is wearing for Bill Self where he says, but Mitch is doing all these things we're asking Dave, and he is a sixth-year senior. Like, at some point, I just need to change things up. And I think this is... This can go one of two ways, or I think there's two reasons for doing this. One, Dave is just struggling, and you need to get more production there, and, and Mitch is giving you more production. So from that standpoint, it could make you a better team. I mean, in one way, you could make the argument this could be a little similar back to the 2015-2016 season when, if you remember in January, KU had three straight road losses in the Big 12, and they were kind of trying to figure out all season long. Two of them, they got Bob. Yeah, they they like and Ames and still they had so many positions figured out that year. You had Frank Mason and, and a sophomore Devontae Graham. You had a, a breakout junior Wayne Selden. You had a senior year Perry Ellis. The, basically, four of the starting five was very solid and figured out. But you didn't know what you were going to do at the five. Um, Hunter Mickelson uh, really kind of went oh, off yeah. in the the World University Games over the summer that off season, which which got people thinking like he was going to be the guy. That didn't end up being the case. You had Sheck Diallo, who that didn't really work out. Uh, Jamari Trailer would be an option there. Um, Landon Lucas, and and finally they settled on Landon Lucas. Whether it was a because I think there were some Wasn't things. That's the year they had the goofball from Cleveland too that didn't wind Carlton up working Bragg, out. Yeah, Carlton yeah. Bragg. And they they had I think some of the players said we just play better with Landon in the game, like we want him to build self. I, I don't know if that's the case of of what happened here, um, but you had that kind of happen, and from that point on, once he settled in as the center, that team won like. It, it was like 16 strike games or something like that before the eventual super close loss after a borderline call against Villanova in the Elite Eight. From about February till that game, they were the best team in the country. And Landon and their Lucas, winning streak heart started before February, but just I'm I'm that's the line of demarcation. Yeah, from February 1st till 
They lost by five in the Elite Eight. They were the best team in the country. And I think you can make a lot of comparisons between that. Like, Shaq Diallo was the talented guy, right? Like, maybe you say that's Dave or whatever it is. But I think you can make a lot of comparisons between Landon and Mitch Lightfoot. Older yeah. guys don't necessarily have to. Like, they can get in the right position. If they're one-on-one, they can hit a hook shot for you. But it's not going to be something you're going to, like, want as one of your top options on the offense, but they know how to seal. They know how to get in the right position on things. They're going to play with all-out effort. Maybe they'll get beat on a certain play because they're not as athletic or as tall or as strong as as another player, but you feel comfortable knowing what they're going to do. And that in its own, when you have four other really good starters around you, which that team did, which guess what? This team has as well. Yeah. Maybe that's enough. Yeah, they're not... That's actually a fantastic comparison because Mitch Lightfoot is not good enough to be the reason that you win, but he doesn't need to be on this team. Like, Yudoka Azubuki needed to be the reason you won, particularly on the 2020 team that obviously didn't get a chance to play in the tournament. Um, And, and, you know, you had Sfi and and, uh, Devante on the 2018 team, and those are sadly the only two years where you got an entire year of Azubuki. Um, but yeah, Mitch is not good enough to be the player you absolutely need to be great to win. But yeah, you, you've got players, and that's a not just with the comparison to Landon, but with the comparison of the team he plays on. But I think a, a, a very important fact to bring in here is yes, I think the main reason, like if, if you go like, you know, it's probably sixty percent. Um, the way Dave is playing that's led to this decision. But I think the good thing is it's, it's at least 40% the way Mitch is playing. Whereas I think it, it could have just, you know, you, you don't want one of those deals where it's 80% the way Dave is playing and you don't really have anybody behind him to make a decision to go to. You just know it's got to be somebody else. Yeah. The fact that Mitch is playing at a level that you can look at it and go, Okay, yeah, he's he's not not only you know Dave has played down to a level that you need to make this decision, but Mitch Lightfoot has very clearly played his way into the answer to that question. Hundred percent, that's good. Yes, that is a very good thing. So that's that's one part of it. It could just be that. Um, the other part of this too, though, is maybe this is the way to unlock a better David McCormick. And and what does that mean? I don't know because if if Dave does better in a bench role. Does that mean that he's just more suited for that and that you keep him there because if it ain't broke, don't fix it? Or does it mean if he starts to do well in the bench, then it's time to move him back into the starting lineup because Dave does probably have a higher ceiling than Mitch Lightfoot? I I think that will be very intriguing. And and furthermore, how will he handle this? Because that's that's me assuming that it's going to go well and then... You have Dave rolling, and then it starts to get to a conversation of, well, again, like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, or does he deserve to be back in the starting lineup now, and he just needed a different role to try to kind of get his groove back, so to speak. But that's being the optimistic view with a guy who has kind of struggled with overcoming negative things, with maybe overthinking things at time, with with maybe trying to be too perfect. There is a part of me that wonders, and I'm sure Bill Self maybe juggled with this as well. Like, is this going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back where like, he's already struggling in so many ways and having this will be the final blow where, you know, it goes from being bad to worse. Uh, 
it's it's possible. I'll say this. I I don't know, and I don't mean this as as you know. This is going to come come across as harsh, and I don't want it to because because Dave genuinely is a good guy. Um, he really is 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 an enjoyable person to talk with. Um, but I think if that's the case, and I don't necessarily believe it is the case, but if it's the case that this benching becomes the thing that if, that uh, like ends any hope of him getting better then he probably wasn't going to be tough enough anyway to be somebody you can rely on for a big tournament run. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know that this will be the case. It's entirely possible that that the pressure comes off, the Dave through practice figures out what he needs to figure out, and we're at a point where we don't even care who's starting because they're both playing anywhere from you know 15 to 18 minutes and getting, and you'll hear in Bill Self's audio, and we'll talk about that, the exact numbers he ho- he's hoping, not just out of Mitch, not just out of Dave, but in the combination, uh, in the aggregate of what he hopes to get out of the five position, um, he'll talk. He talks about that in his press conference, which you'll hear in a, in a few minutes. Um, but it's very possible that we that Dave figures it out and it turns into a, a really productive player, and we're sitting here going, I don't care who starts. We're whatever combination of Mitch and Dave playing, you know. 15 minutes a piece it's working really well um i hope that's what happens but if if it does happen that now that he's benched he's discouraged beyond all repair i don't know that he was it was going to work out anyway yeah um and and i don't know what like the minute split and everything will be i don't know what this means for guys like zach clements and kj adams like jalen wilson being at the five I, i know a lot of people have said that but like I think the fact that Dave has struggled so much has kind of taken away from the fact that Jalen Wilson has not been good. So I, I don't really want to get into that conversation of should Jalen Wilson be playing the five. But if Dave going to the bench and he continues to struggle, and like I said, this makes it worse because it puts you in an even bigger funk, then maybe we do start talking about Zach Clements or KJ Adams playing a bigger role in addition to Mitch already starting and play a bigger role. And I didn't think we would get to a point where Dave would ever really lose his footing on the starting lineup because as bad as it got last year, he still stayed in there. I definitely still don't think we'll ever get to a point where Dave loses his footing on at least playing 12, 15 minutes a game. Yeah, I, I but think, it's not an unreasonable task that that could happen. Would you, would you say I would you say that it would be more surprising knowing what we know now? It it would be more surprising if Clements overtakes him than it, it was that Mitch has overtaken him? I would, I would say that that would be more surprising. Yes. I think that would probably be pretty more, yeah, because of the fact that Mitch is a six-year senior and, and he does know everything. And we've seen moments of Dave, even though the end of the year really good last year, we've seen moments of Dave ha- having struggles. Yes, 100%. All right, uh, let's let you listen into that Bill Self audio coming up after this timeout. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. 
All right, it is a Monday, our first Monday of 2022. The best and worst Monday of the year so far. So far. All right, done with my dad jokes. Um, with Adam Rivetta, I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWM. Before we get into the case of the Mondays, um, do you have a favorite thing that occurred over the weekend for you? Uh, or wor- least favorite, like something bad no, that happened. I, I, I had a pretty, I mean, the, I had a pretty uneventful weekend now that I think. I mean, I... I um, yeah, I did what I normally do when it's really snowy and cold. I bought, I loaded up on frozen pizzas and just mm. hung out in my home. It was, I got, you know, it was, it was good. Okay, that's what fine about you? On um, I went sledding yesterday. I haven't gone sledding in a did long time. you go to the time. campus? Yeah, went to the campus. It wasn't like totally covered in snow, but there was enough there. You and it going. was, it was an icy, it was icy too on yes. top of the snow. So that helps. Yeah. So that was fun. Um, I do want to start Case in the Mondays by giving a shout out to, uh, our guy, David Lesky, mm. who, um, uh, he tweeted that he's got himself. I'm, I'm, I'm more bringing this up because this partly involves Case of the Mondays because it is a random fact that may have eluded you over the weekend. Uh, but Lesky has kind of gone down a bit of a rabbit hole, he said, so he's got, uh, pretty in-depth article coming out tomorrow so that should be fun look for that uh but also uh more importantly derek tomorrow marks exactly four weeks before we have to start caring about the mlb lockout because <laughs> we both decided that february 1st is when any any movement if any movement's going to happen uh with this lock with this holdout it's uh or lockout not holdout it's going to be um Starting February first, that every, these things need deadlines that we feel will be the deadline, and, and tomorrow is four weeks from February first. Okay, that is uh, good to know. Put it in your calendar. Put uh, as soon as it turns February first, it should uh, pop up for everyone. You know. All right, let's get on to our official edition of Case of the Mondays here on your January third. First up, the Antonio Brown saga that occurred yesterday um did you see this did you see this whole thing that happened oh i sure did oh my goodness this was apps because so i was i was watching the as i'm sure many people were um watching the chiefs game so maybe you didn't know and i i had you know one tv on the chiefs game and then i had the smaller tv in the corner that was on red zone and and the chiefs game is is on with sound and stuff red zone is muted so i have no idea like what's being said when they flip over to, to show what is happening with antonio brown and when i saw he was Basically stripping down on the sideline, taking off his shirt, his gloves, throwing it into the stands. Uh, basically in the middle of a play, the play clock's going, he's just like running down through the end zone, and then he leaves the stadium. I immediately texted some friends who were watching, you know, maybe Red Zone or other games. I was like, why did Antonio well, you, Brown get You still have a friend in Tampa, didn't you? I did. I, I didn't text him. Okay. I, I did with some other friends uh, who we, you know, bet on football games and stuff together. Um, and I, te- I immediately texted. I was like, I asked. I was like... Why did Antonio Brown get ejected? Because I just figured he got ejected. Oh, no. And that was, like, in response to that. Come to find out that, like, there was a... Everybody was like, we don't know why he did this. He just did this. And then we found out in the aftermath, again, basically, he just quit on the team. They were down 24 to 10. Through that point in the game, I think he had five targets with, like, two or three catches. He wasn't super involved. The the initial reports I saw, and these could be inaccurate because they were early on, but I, the initial reports I saw, what he was chapped because they were down fourteen, but uh, he and they wanted him to go back in the game. So and okay. he didn't want to. So that this was is initially what I saw. This that is could what be I saw. Accurate now. So he he only had the five targets, the three catches. They're down fourteen in the game, and for whatever reason, 
somebody said something to him or that he was maybe hurt and, and I don't know, maybe he was just making excuses. Whatever it was, Bruce Arians, this part we know, he told him to go back into the game. I think he said it to him twice. He refused to go back in the game, so Bruce Arians was basically like, well, if you're not going to go in the game, get lost. And then that basically and then he ensued. saw an opportunity to make it all about himself, and he took it. What I am wondering here is because in Antonio Brown's contract, now he's made millions this and millions amazing. of dollars. This right? is amazing. Yes. He's, he, millions and millions of dollars. So, But he could have made another million yesterday. He could have. <laughs> if he had, because now his, his season is, is done. If he would have had eight more catches over the course of the rest of that game and the next game, which is very possible, um, especially with Chris Godwin out, 55 more receiving yards. Yep. And I think it was one, one more receiving touchdown. touchdown. One touchdown. He would have got a million dollars. But he would have gotten a third of a million if he got any one of those things. Unbelievable. So he still so could, it could have been like, okay, up. exactly. So even if he didn't get like all the 55 three. 55 yards would have been the easiest. Exactly. Like even if he didn't get all three, he could have at least gotten, what, $333,000. Mm-hmm. That's unbelievable. Like, first of all, that you left that on the table. And but second of all, I wonder if that played into No it. wonder he's not paying his damn bills to his caterer. He's costing himself <laughs> bonus money. Well, do you think that played into it? That he was like, you guys, like, do you think in his, because we have, from what we've known, the long list of crazy things that have happened with Antonio Brown, he's not always the most rational person. Do you think in his mind, he might have thought, you guys are doing this on purpose. You guys are not throwing me the ball to avoid paying me a million dollars. I'm sure. I Look, I, I'll be honest with you, though. I always, in in general, I say look out for when, when things are going bad. Um, well, it wasn't it Odell Beckham who tried to fight the kicker net? I th- yes, that sounds very familiar. So yes, all, and and Jalen Ramsey was like this in mm-hmm. in Jacksonville. Always he look, just like punched a teammate yeah, yesterday. Look yeah. out for players who want to show off how mad they are when things are going down. <laughs> like everybody's mad when you're losing by fourteen to the Jets. Everybody's mad when you lose three or four games in a row. Everybody's mad. But the players that really overcompensate to be like, I'm going to let me show everybody how mad I am. I'm the most mad. I'm going to hit the kicker's net. I'm the most mad. They just, they want everybody to see, wow, he's really impassioned. Look at him go. He really cares. Um, look, I, I he's, a- Antonio Brown, look, the, the Bucks came out of winners in this. Antonio Brown has made it clear since the beginning who he is. This hissy fit was always going to happen. It was inevitable, but the Bucks got a Super Bowl ring with him before the inevitable happened. So they came out winners here. Oh yeah, yeah. So that whole thing, I don't, I don't know. And there's a lot to think of this. I mean, from the Buccaneers' standpoint, like, what does this mean? We'll talk about that. I'll later. I'll say this: like, I'm, I'm really irritated. Bruce Arians. And, and he's not the only coach who would do this. This is NFL coaches really think that saying anything to the media is like giving away the codes to our nuclear arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that look, man, you brought in the circus. Answer for it. Yeah. And, and his refusal is you know his refusal to answer for it um, was childish, but it's also in line with basically what every other NFL coach would do. Well, you know situation. what, too, I. Uh... I know a lot of people kind of uh, are under the assumption of the only reason he's there, and I think there is a good credence to this, is because of Tom Brady. Um, oh, yeah. He should probably have to answer it to it, too. But 
Because everybody knew something like this was going to happen. It was only a matter of time. Do you think Antonio, he's obviously done this season. Will he ever play another NFL game? I, I don't know. I think the, he'll, a lot of teams will be tempted because of the fact that he his blow-up happened almost two years into his time with the Bucks, and they won a world championship with him. And so I, I think teams are going to be tempted to say, hey, man, if we can keep Keep it at least keep his blowups in house at least for a year, and he's still playing at that level. Look what it did for the Bucks. So I think it's possible. I kind of have a hard time believing that Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys won't at least kick the tires there. We've yeah. seen uh, what was the uh, defensive, especially uh, if, they, if they don't win the title this year. If they don't make the Super Bowl, and I think they're probably the second or third best team in the NFC right now. Well, heck, maybe he will play again this year. Michael Gallup out for the year, you know? Yeah. Just like, hey, Antonio Brown, come on board. I don't think that'll happen, but, like, it would not surprise me at all if the Cowboys did time. I, I can't remember the name of the defensive end who, uh, Greg Hardy, like, had the, the sexual oh, um, yeah, battery yeah, yeah. stuff on, yeah. over his head with the allegations. Which, for the stuff. record, much, much worse than yeah. Antonio Brown is doing annoying things. The, what Greg Hardy did was was awful, and they gave him a shot. Yeah, so that so, would yeah, not that's a good totally surprise me. Um, elsewhere in the NFL, in a I don't know story that isn't really game related. Um, did you see this after the game? Uh, the railing, you know, that hangs over like the the where they enter the locker <laughs> can rooms. I point out before you go yeah. on. Can I point out we we on on Thursday our last show we compared this franchise we yeah. we discussed an, a stadium uh, this stadium a problem at this stadium and then compared this franchise to floating turds mm -hmm. just in our last show yeah we had our award show and they had the uh pipe of the year which the different pipes that broke and now their stadium, the railing that hangs over the area where, you know, the players walk in and they usually will, like, reach up and give high fives to the fans. It, like, collapsed and came down and some fans came down with it. I, I think, fortunately, everybody was okay. Was, no, yeah, and, and Jalen... Um, yeah, he, like, hung I, out with some of the yeah, fans. Yeah, Jalen Hurts pictures. took some pictures. The guy, I think the guy who took the brunt of this fall, uh, Jalen Hurts gave him his game gloves. Um, and so, but look, man... It could have been it could have been terrible in multiple ways. It could have been terrible in that one of those fans that fell could have gotten very very hurt. One of them falling on Jalen Hurts could have severely injured him. It could have been bad. And do you think it's possible since these were Eagles fans trying to high five an Eagles player that it wasn't a malfunction that that part of the railing is actually rigged that somebody can push a mm. button and cause it to collapse. Dan Snyder is you know. Just has all these cameras everywhere, and he's like, you know, now that would take fans. Dan Snyder being competent. Mm. So I don't know. Yeah, I think it's more that likely that it. it's just a dump of a stadium. I think that's what it is. I mean, that whole organization is a it's dump. A dump. Um, and I so feel they bad because they have some good players, and you know, I like Ron Rivera, the head coach. But like from the the level of the organization where it starts with the president, and the owner, and everything, the the stadium, absolute dump. Yeah, earlier this year you get a you get a sewage pipe bursting, changing their location from Washington D.C. to Washington D.C. <laughs> and now their stadium is literally falling to pieces, and people are almost getting hurt as a result. Mm -hmm. So not great there. Um, how about this? South Carolina lost to Missouri in women's basketball. I don't bring up this story because of what happened there, um, but they lost in overtime on a last second shot with like 0.1 seconds left on a layup. They were number one in the country. Yep, really good. Today, 
New women's basketball AP poll came out, as the men's did. KU 6 there. The women's side, South Carolina, stayed number one. Somewhere, a single tear is dropping down Jesse Newell's cheek. He's very happy yeah. about that. This is the, the overall um, body of work. Yeah, good, good. I mean, that's uh, does, does the closest, are they the only team with just one loss? Does ever, anybody else have one loss? I, I don't know well enough, but I do know the number two team in the country is Stanford, and South Carolina beat them twice. Oh, then yeah, okay. It, it just um, helps, But you right? know, you're absolutely right. It's, it's not. I wonder where the line is, though. It's not they over, lose again this week. Do you think yeah, they'll stay there? I don't know, but I, I agree. It's, 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 you're, you're right. The Newell is one of the only people um, who... Not not the only, but one of the only who looks at body of work versus the result of one game, um, and I'm glad. Yeah, and and also you're right in that that's how it should be. I um, saw. Uh, I mean, KU famously KU men's team stayed number one after an overtime loss to uh, Missouri in 1997. Yeah, I, I saw Ken Pomeroy point this out, and I've, I've long uh, talked about how there I think there should be and are differences between how you can conduct the the predictive measurements in, in basketball versus like football for instance and I'm I'm okay with that um and like I think perfect example Ken Palmer I talked about this earlier in the year he was like if you have a team who is number one in the country who you think is number one in you know maybe the metric systems or ratings or whoever you think is number one you are going to go into that season knowing full well they are probably going to lose multiple games yeah so why should their first loss, why should losing to a top 10 team or getting upset on some fluky thing cause them to not be number one in your poll anymore? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, in, unless you had it a situation like, you expecting where, them to be undefeated. Yeah, or or you think. Whereas football, or, or you, you are expecting them, if they're number one, to be yeah, undefeated. You that's know? a great point. And, and yeah, I mean, the only way, um, and I guess it, it depends on your philosophy, uh, is it is it based on what you think will happen or what you think where you think a team stands right now? Like there are there are some people who think you know they'll have a team ranked fifth, but they think um, by the end of the year they could be that they might be prove out to be the best team, but at this moment they're fifth, so they rank them fifth. Um, there are more ways, more than one way to vote, but yeah, that's that's a good point. In, in the game of basketball, nobody's ranking a team number one, going they're going to win every game. And nobody, and, and then on top of that, nobody is looking at the team they have ranked number two. Going, well, I think they're going to stay undefeated. Therefore, I need to rank them above who I have number one now because the team at number one took a loss. All right, that is case of the Mondays with Adam Brevet. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's get into that Chiefs game coming up next. This is RCST on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN and KLWN.com. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Man, I thought we were going to have uh, a lot of fun things to talk about with the Chiefs coming in today at halftime and... Um, man, right after the Byron Pringle. Up 14 14 points on two different occasions. And you think it's going to be even more when Byron Pringle brings that one back and then you see the flag and then the Tyree kill almost and they end up uh, falling apart there at the end. I I think uh, the things that stood out the most uh, for me, I'm sure for a lot of people it's the refs. And and I'll get to that in a second. Um, Because I, 
I never like to play the whole, that is the difference in the game. Now, there are obviously exceptions, right? Like uh, the Rams, Saints, NFC Championship. And you could still say, well, they could have made plays along the game to make it different. So um, I'm yeah. not disagreeing with that. But like, like, every, like if it's yeah. that bad, like where it directly, like the Saints yeah. would have won that game if not for that call. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, I'm on board with that, right? Um, I wouldn't go as far to say that in this game, but it was... As we talk about the story of this game, it would be impossible not to talk about kind of the ref show as part of it, especially because literally guys on the like Joe Burrow in the post game said we got fortunate with missed calls. Yeah. Um, Andy Reid in the post game said, I would like to talk about all the different calls, but I don't want to get fined. I want it well, that annoys the hell out of me. Yeah, just get fined. Just get fined. Yeah. Um but, but yeah, it's the, the story of the game. You've got yes, you have got But I, I don't want to start with that. That's I guess, fair. Yeah, go ahead. Um so I, I think the most Riveting thing to me about why they lost that game was poor coaching decisions. And I don't mean to say this that it's poor coaches, poor but coaching decisions, decisions yeah, right? Like exactly. Patrick Mahomes can be the best quarterback in the world. He, still he make can a make a bad interception, like the Washington football team one, right? That was yeah. very dumb. Um, the lack of adjusting on defense was maddening, especially, and, and it didn't even have to be a, an adjustment on defense for the entire game. If you would have just adjusted for one play, the third and twenty-seven. Yeah. Right. Because I remember sitting there, I was watching the game and I was going, I don't care what you do, double team Jamar Chase. It is third and 27. Make them kick the field goal. Bra- look, bracket. Put a safety up there, him, man. Because, and as soon as I saw they brought the, the safety in or brought an extra guy into the box, you could tell they were blitzing. It was one on one. I was going, all Joe Burrow is going to do is just lob this up. The blitz isn't going to affect him. He's just going to say, yeah. beat me. And, and, and they couldn't, especially when you you re, you you've at least learned by that point in the game that you're getting pressure and sacks without blitzing. Yeah, that what four sacks? Look, okay, between that, this is this. I again, this goes back to good coaches can make dumb dumb mistakes. I, I think it was a, it was a dumb mistake to not let them score. I kind of go back to, you know, it's everyone talks about you get any. Um, any coach in a room to do an interview to talk about Bill Belichick, they'll they'll gush on and on about how amazing he is at doing this and that, and nobody ever learns anything from him. Nobody ever <laughs> looks and goes, he's the best guy to ever do it. Maybe let's copy off him a little bit, um, because he was one of the first to bracket to to to, to double bracket a single player and say, beat me with your other guys. Yeah, he was one of the first to do that. He was one of the first to say, all right, fine, we're going to let you score because I think my guy with two minutes and a couple timeouts can at least tie it. And But nobody copies off of that. And so that's um, that's infuriating to me. Um, but, yeah, the back to whether it be that decision on the 3rd and 27 or how long it took them to uh, start playing um, Willie Gay and Snead a little mm-hmm. more. Uh, and and um, they just never really adjusted on that end and, of the ball. And, yeah, and and but but early in the season when he was making questionable decisions with the personnel and Sorison was playing too much too much and playing at the wrong spot. My point is is he's good and you know Spagnolo has a lot deserves a lot of credit for this defense turning it around this season, but Spagnolo could also be directly responsible for this team not getting the one seed. Yeah. This team might be stuck playing. Will probably the 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 most likely scenario as we sit here is the Chiefs are going to be playing in the first weekend, and they will be playing against the Chargers. 
who gave them a, who's mm-hmm. given them trouble all year. And, Beat them and, in Arrowhead. And that's on Spagnolo. 100%. That's on Spagnolo for multiple games at the beginning of the season and for decisions he made yesterday. Yeah. I mean, between you watch the Rose Bowl and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, just goes off, and you're like, why have you not, you know, started double or triple teaming these guys 300 yards? And then you get into the NFL, and, and you watch that game, and like at some point he has 200 yards, and you go, we have to change something up here, and they never did. Um, so that I think was was poor coaching decisions. Uh, again, this continues to be a, a theme. This is just something that I don't expect to change. Um, the not being aggressive enough by Andy Reid. I actually, if you look at like. Analytics actually said that the the fourth down, and I think it was four, to kick the field goal down by three was actually the right call. So it wasn't that one. I, I think there were um, they were at, what, like the 44 something like that? It was like fourth down and five. They ended up punting. Punt. It's like a 36 punt. And that, they ended up going and scoring. Um, punting that, in that is situation one is... Where your defense is struggling, your offense was rolling. You only had to... Like, Part, part of this, too, of, of what the Chiefs were, again, as I'm talking about other reasons they lost besides the refs, um, for instance, you only scored three points in the second half. Your offense kind of turtled up, but also they you only had three possessions. You only have three drives. Right, so that makes it harder because if you get a fourth possession, you score a touchdown, 10 points in, in four possessions isn't, like, terrible um, to have for your bad half, so to speak, right? Um, so take advantage of that, and I would have liked to see them go for that in that situation. And then the end of the game, I thought was so poorly managed, not letting them score at the end of that half. First of all, the the misuse of timeouts, which this happens every time, and it's not a huge deal because it, it it can be the difference in maybe like five seconds. Not understanding that if you take your timeouts before the two minute warning, then it can only stop at two minutes. Where if you take them below the two minute warning, then you're losing all those seconds of the plays after the two-minute warning, if yeah. that makes sense, so it can be the difference. Here's, I, I really think that every coach, look, a coach has a lot to worry about during a game. Even a coach like Andy Reid, who's kind of decided, I'm going to run the offense, and I'm going to get a head coach level, a head coach caliber defensive coordinator to essentially just be the head coach of the defense. Even a guy like Andy Reid still has a ton to think about while the game is going on. So make your plans about, you know, Get some analytics guys together. Make your plans about two minutes. Have a sheet and and tell an assistant coach. Find an, an assistant wide receivers coach whose basically only job during the week is to count the steps that a cornerback takes on any given assignment in, in the film room. And then say, all right, since you're not actually doing much during the game, most of your, com- your work comes during practice and in the film room, here, during the game, hold this. And tell me when it's a good idea to, mm-hmm. to call a timeout. Just do that because I get at any moment in a game I can get where somebody messes up on on deciding to call a timeout uh, because there's a lot going on. You're probably wrapped up in the emotions of the game. Plus, you're thinking about what are we going to do on the next drive. You've got a lot in your on your head. What you don't have an excuse for is by this point in your career you haven't you haven't put together some sort of table. Where you say, okay, you read off yes or no on timeouts. Yeah, have somebody do it for you, like they, you said. They do they, the same thing for challenges. I don't the, get that. The coach has said, all right, I can't see it, 
Therefore, I'm going to put whether or not we challenge in the hands of somebody else who can look at the replay screen. Yeah. And so they're willing to do that. Well, and you almost got bailed out because they almost didn't convert the fourth down, but then you had the penalty to where it would have actually worked out. But I don't understand why they didn't just let them score. And I know Andy Reid in the postgame said we tried to let him score there, but they spiked the ball. Was Which he referring that, that to that means the, they weren't going to let him score until, until the backup quarterback right? came in? That doesn't make sense to me. When you would instead you you let him score earlier, you've got at least one timeout left, and I like you had an op. Weren't they down at the one before the two minute warning? Yes, so you would have had at least. Down, I think yes. they got the first down at the two minute warning. So you would have had basically the two minute warning and a timeout, or maybe a minute fifty four and a timeout to go get a touchdown. Yeah, because you would have been down four or no. You would, yeah, you would have been down seven because yeah. it was tied. No, they stopped them all the way to fourth down. It basically bled out the clock. It bled out all of your timeouts, and it basically made it where that exact situation where you didn't give your offense another chance because uh, basically you were saying we'd rather have – like this is this is the logic that by not letting them score you allowed by the time they got the first down. By the time they got the first down and they had first and goal, not letting them score was basically you saying we like our chances better for them to either mess something up or miss like a 19-yard field goal than we do our chances of being down seven with a minute 50 left in the ball. And that is crazy to me when you have Patrick Mahomes. Getting four downs downs. on everyone because you're not punting there. And if you want to say, I don't like the odds of, well, if we tie the game and go to overtime and be a coin flip, then you can always go for two if you score the touchdown. Exactly. A minute 50-something with a timeout with Patrick Mahomes Knowing that you have four down, and that knowing that you have, it's not just the fact that you go for it on fourth down, it's knowing that you're going to be using all four downs, that's going to affect your play calls on first, second, and third down. Mm-hmm. So the playbook is completely wide open at that point when you know you're going to be using all four downs, if it gets to that point. So it, it, it's I, I, I can't for the life of me understand how they possibly thought it's more likely, and by the way, what you're if if going with the philosophy you just said of we think our chances are better of them screwing something up here or missing a, a an old yeah. extra point, it, the the chances of that are better. Even if though, even if you think the chances of that are more likely than you scoring, you're still playing for overtime at that point. Yeah, because it would have gone to overtime had Cincinnati beefed something up then it still would have wound up in overtime. It doesn't make sense. It really doesn't make sense. So that, to me, was the main reason why the Chiefs lost. But also, like I said, you can point to three points in the second half. You can point to missed opportunities. The kick return that got called back. If if you don't have that guy holding, because that guy didn't need to hold for that to be a... It was the right call, Uh, but I don't know if he needed to. Yeah, I I think that the, the camera angle they showed on that replay, I don't think that Byron Pringle was as deep Okay. As it looked, because they only showed the, the replay even then, from the end zone. The Tyreek drop, right? Yes. Um, the Travis Kelsey drop on, on I think it was third down, where Mahomes rolling to the right, throws yeah. downfield, yeah. and, and he just drops it. Um, those things continue to plague the Chiefs and just miss and, and opportunities. To be clear, it's still possible. Like, it's it's not like, on the topic of that hold, I, I do think that, like, it's not like you had no chance to block him normally. Mm-hmm. And, and... Even so, it isn't like like sometimes a, an offensive lineman will say, "Okay, I'm going to very obviously hold this guy because I don't want my quarterback to get sacked. I'd rather lose ten yards um, and my quarterback stay standing 
then lose seven yards and my quarterback get dropped to the ground. Uh, on that in that situation, if you're if it's between holding or letting the guy go and potentially make the tackle, let him go and potentially make the tackle because that ain't a quarterback; it's a special yeah. teams returner, and you're getting. You're still, you know, that you, you have a that, chance, right? And and on top of that, you're getting the ball where the tackle is made, uh, not, you know, you're losing ten yards. Whereas right. if you if you hold a guy and you're, you know, you say the sack is going to be minus seven yards and the hold's going to be minus ten, well, if you hold a guy in that situation, it's going to be a full minus ten on a punt return. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. So, um, that was all there. But now getting to that ref part of it. Because, like I said, I think there were other reasons, maybe more prominent, why they lost that game. But the ref show was definitely a part of how that went. Because, like I said, I, I don't like blaming games on refs. It's, it's kind of weak. But when it happens to, to that level, in my eyes, it, it has to be talked about. Because you had the, um, obviously, play at the end where they convert on the flag on the fourth down. I think that was the right call. Um, the hands to the face? Yes. Yeah. I think that was just more of people were just like, Oh, here we go! Another another one, the, right? Yeah. Um, but you had on, like I, on had it been had the refs been good all day, everyone would have been yes. mad at Ward there, correct? Not at the ref, correct? Um, you had the the drive that the Bengals scored a touchdown, I think, to make it thirty one twenty eight. You had a third down in like a ten or eleven at their own end of the field, around their like twenty yard line or something. They converted on a phantom pass interference that really call. That call. was really bad. And then later in that drive, you that, you just, that that was you want to talk about anticipation. Yes. They they just were convinced beforehand. It was on Sneed, wasn't it? I think so. They yeah. were and that was so clearly anticipating a a, a an offensive or a, a defensive pass interference mm -hmm. that I mean it wasn't even like well, you know, that he he had some contact that was just a bad call. And they, and it yes. was in my mind clearly because they were anticipating it happening. Yes, um, you had later that drive where the Chiefs just like tackled the guy and they called it like unnecessary roughness for throwing him, or no, they called a uh, horse collar and mm. his hand wasn't. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. The, it, So that was dumb, and that ended up both those were on that drive that led to the touchdown. Um, the third and one that the Bengals had before the fourth down, they missed a very clear false start okay, that would have made a third and six. That's yes. And was it the guard or the tackle? It was the left guard. It was an NFL mm -hmm. left guard. His ass moved very clearly. And to be clear, he's an NFL guard. And yes. the reason I want to point this out is because that's a giant ass. Yeah. It's not some, you know, <laughs> petite fanny that, oh, man, mm -hmm. I missed it. He's an NFL guard, which means he has an enormous ass. <laughs> it's clear when it's moving. Yeah. So you missed that. And then this one I don't think got talked about as much because it wasn't in crunch time. If you remember at the end of the half, so Chiefs were up 28-14. Um, the Bengals ended up kicking a field goal right before half, right? Or was it the start of the third quarter it, maybe? No, it was before half because the – yeah. Because it was 28-17. That's made it – yes, it made 28-17 because the Chiefs could have at least made it 31-17 had Tyreek Hill caught right. that ball. So they, they kicked the field goal there. And it was a long field goal. It was like a long 40s 40, or something like yard, that. 48-yard, I think. Yeah. If you remember on that second or third down, because I think they got sacked maybe on third down, but on yeah, the they second did. down, yeah, they, got they ran a third. play where the running back was in pass protection, blocking, and Joe Burrow just chucked it into the ground three yards in front of him. They okay. didn't call intentional grounding. They said the running back was in the area. But he was He was blocking. blocking the whole play. And he turned around what's, after the play and was like, no, here I am. What's but he was the never, rule on that? If he's blocking, he's not a receiver. Okay. 
Um, so maybe so that should have been I, I didn't even gun. notice it, and it could be because it I brought them out of field goal range. Yeah. Which in that situation, at the end of the game, it's thirty-one twenty-eight, and it would have been twenty-eight fourteen at half. Thirty-one twenty-eight Chiefs. I should and, say. and then yeah. you come out. You the Bengals scored a touchdown. Had that happened, that touchdown to start the second half would have made it twenty-eight twenty-one, not twenty-eight yes. twenty-four. And it also probably changes how the Bengals play that last drive. They're probably not as sitting on the clock. They're probably just trying to score. Yeah, they're, saying, ne- they're we like, need we need to, to score, score right? Yeah. It's not a guarantee we're going to score. We better score, right? And the Chiefs might get the ball. So there was a lot of stuff there, and I might be missing one or two. I mean, there was a lot of, I, I think, because uh, right now the Chiefs are the two seed, the Bengals are the three seed. So that would set these two, two teams seed up. And, and it looks like the Chargers, man. That's yeah. what really. Yeah. But it, it could me. set these teams up to meet in the divisional round. Um, I think you would hope that the refs would let you get away with a little more if you get whatever crew it is, because. If you're going to continue to play a lot of man-to-man, which has been your your thing this year, when you're playing a team like the Bengals that has three really good receivers and a really good quarterback at anticipation and accuracy and a really good running back, you're probably going to need a, a little more on your side. We need, to, we need to hit a break, but I, I want to ask you, because we talked just real quick, how do you – is this – because you can look at it one of two ways. You can look at it very similarly to 2018, the Chiefs fell to 6-4, and four. With a loss at Tennessee, a t- uh, you know, and a lot of things had to go wrong for them to lose by three points. Mm-hmm. I think the final score there was like 35-32, something like that. And same thing. So you could say this is the exact very similar situation. Um, I've, I, I, I still am okay believing that the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC because I can sit here and say they lost by three points on the road to a playoff team and a lot had to go wrong for that to happen. The other side of that, though, is as it stands, the Chiefs have one win against the most likely AFC playoff teams. And if you want to include the Raiders, because technically they're in the AFC picture right now, they have three wins. They still have a losing record against AFC playoff teams right Mm -hmm. now. So I don't know where to go from there. No, you don't. Um, They're all games that you can individually say – yeah, but if this went right or all these things didn't go against us, like Chargers. The, o- the only one you could you wouldn't say that about is Titans. They it's got correct. bold yeah, against they the did. Titans. But the rest you could easily excuse. And you could say, well, if we play again, maybe the Bills won too. But even then, there were some weird things you, that you happened. You had the, the, um, the, 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 the roughing the passer. And, the roughing the yeah, passer, yep. yeah. Uh, so you could easily excuse them. But when you add them up together, it starts to get like, well, maybe this team just isn't good at beating maybe good teams. Or, yeah, maybe they're just a team that is good enough to win a home playoff, a home wild card round game and then lose i still think that that it's huge they have to win this week to hold on to the two seed because they do have still an opportunity to host the afc championship game yeah i uh think i wouldn't be surprised at any result at this point in the playoffs which is kind of weird to say for a team that i think is still the betting favorite to win the afc um and, and not just betting favorite 538 for you know a lot of people feel whatever about them but right now at this moment the chiefs are still 538's favorite to win the whole thing. All right, with Adam Brevet, I'm Derek Johnson. Let's get to our NFL Monday overreactions next. This is RCST. FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN weather. Chiefs fall to the Bengals yesterday. A lot of other NFL action occurred, but right now the Packers have clinched the one seed. The Titans 
Uh, kind of have a stranglehold over it on the Chiefs because of the fact that if they win, they clinch it and they play the Houston Texans. But we've talked about this before. The Texans have been kind of the saving grace for the Chiefs a couple times this year. We'll see if they can do it again. Um, but it is time for our NFL Monday overreactions. Uh, we'll each do three. I'll go first. Joe Burrow, after that game last night, has almost 1,000 yards Eight touchdowns to zero interceptions over the last two weeks. That is unbelievable. He has moved into third on MVP odds behind Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Um, he won't always have these weapons, right? Like, I think this is what you're seeing. Like, you have these weapons when you're on your rookie contract. He's only in the second year of his rookie contract. You can afford to have, and part of it too, the receivers, a lot of them, two of them, in T. Higgins and, and Jamar Chase are on rookie deals as well. But in a couple years... T. Higgins will be up for contract extension. Tyler Boyd already got a contract extension in a few more years. Jamar Chase will be up for contract extension. Joe Mixon will be up for contract. Like, you won't be able to keep all these great players all the time, but still, they don't have a good offensive line, and with all these weapons, he is so quick with his passes, his decisions. He's so mobile in the pocket. He avoids sacks. Um, he's super accurate. I think Joe Burrow at some point in his career will win an MVP. And that might not sound that crazy after seeing that game yesterday and for a guy who is third in MVP odds, but winning an MVP is really freaking hard. We've seen guys who Breeze maybe, never like, did. Yeah, it. Drew Brees Russell, never Wilson, won. It. Never Russell did Wilson. Um, you go down the list. Like it is so hard to win an MVP award. I think Joe Burrow will get one at some point in his career. Uh my first overreaction also involves the MVP. Mm. Aaron Rodgers should get every single first-place MVP vote. Mm -hmm. He's not going to, but he should. I don't think there is a legitimate argument to be made that anybody is above him in the MVP race right now. I think I, I totally agree with that. Um, he just, you know, you, you can say, oh, well, the Vikings didn't have Kirk Cousins. And, and yes, that excuses why the Vikings— whole season, man. Well, yeah, that, that excuses why the Vikings maybe only scored 10 points last night, but they still put up 37. And, yeah, the whole season has He's been— Unbelievable. He's amazing. 35 touchdowns to four interceptions. I don't know if you saw this stat. I was I was watching like pregame a pregame show on Sunday. Aaron Rodgers over the last two years, and I don't, I don't remember how many touchdown passes he had last night. Was it two, three, whatever? It was two. So now that would mean Aaron Rodgers over the last two years against divisional opponents. Did you see the stat? No. He has 36 touchdowns to zero interceptions. Yeah. That is insane. Yeah, he is. The only time in Aaron Rodgers' career he's ever been, um, except for the except for the last year of Mike McCarthy, which he was injured for a lot of that year, um, really the only year any other NF NFC North team put up a fight in Rodgers' tenure was the Bears, and that happened to be the year that the Packers won the world championship, beating the Bears in the NFC title on the way. So he's just, he's owned that division. Uh, it's been... Everyone talked about um, Brady in the AFC East, but that was more in, in the realm of his dominance because of how bad the rest of the AFC East was while he was in New England. They've had some fine teams. I mean, the Lions have made the playoffs once or twice in Rodgers' tenure in Green Bay. Same with the Bears. Same with the Vikings. But he just keeps destroying them. Yeah, he does. It's absolutely unbelievable. So I would actually agree with that one. All right, number two. Uh, the Bucks will not win a playoff game. I'd be fine with that. Right now, they would be slated to be the three seed. Uh, Green Bay, as I mentioned, locked up the one seed, so the Bucks That's, will be in the back, wild card. Real quick, I'm sorry. Back to the Rodgers MVP discussion. Mm -hmm. Have you seen any word on if they're gonna if he's gonna play Sunday? I've not seen. I have thing. not. I don't know why he. Well, I assume they won't because he's it's the one seed, and he's not chasing a record. 
No. It's not like he's got 49 touchdowns and they're trying to get him to 50. Yeah. So I'm assuming he won't. Um, I honestly don't. Like you said, I think it's so clear cut right now that I don't think it would matter to the MVP. But I, I guess that's another story. Uh, the reason I don't think the Bucks will win a playoff game. So right now, like I mentioned, they're the three seed. The six seed they would be slated to play is San Francisco. And the Buccaneers actually have had a good run defense. So that will help them against the 49ers. And I don't know what's going to happen with the 49ers QB position. I thought Trey Lance was fine. Um, yesterday. Stats actually looked pretty good. Um, but again, I, I thought he was fine. 49ers, I, I don't know. It, it's more about the Bucks than it is the 49ers to me, or whoever it would be in that game. Now, I feel a little less confident if it was like the Eagles. Um, Buccaneers had to come from behind on 24-10 to to the Jets. They've been kind of limping to the finish line. Uh, you have the, the Saints lost a couple weeks ago, and they just don't have the weapons. No Chris Godwin, he's done for the season. Leonard Fournette, he's done for the season. Now, Antonio Brown, as much as a head case as he had been, he was a really talented, good weapon for them. Now they don't have him either. I think the Bucs are trending in the wrong direction. I don't think they're going to win a playoff game. Yeah, I I would, um, I, I would probably give somebody four to one odds that they don't. I and I know this is this is overreaction, so I I know we're not necessarily saying saying things that we. Um, definitively believe, but just things that could possibly be true because of the sake of overreacting. But I don't think that's far off. And, and just to further that point, this isn't about winning a playoff game. It's about winning three. But I would give what what sort of I, if somebody went, wanted to make a bet, I'd lay five to one odds. If somebody wanted to bet that they, if I for me to bet that they don't get out of the NFC. I don't think. Yeah, I I think maybe they win the wild. Like again, overreaction. They're but, not going to play game. Saying, but what, I don't think they make it past but the if, divisional. But if somebody like if would if so if, I just the, if the, the odds of them, if the odds of them getting if somebody if you had to make a bet and the odds of them getting out of the NFC was laying at six to one, you'd still bet on them to fall short, right? Yeah, I think I would. And the, yeah, mm-hmm. and the value would still be because they're. I mean, they're just. Yeah, I agree. They're going the wrong way. Um, Jim Nance, you may have heard of him. Mm. He's racist against tight ends. Whoa. He thinks tight end a race. I don't know. (laughs) He's, he's positionist. He's positionist. He thinks they all look the same, Derek. Mm. Blake Bell lined up behind center yesterday and Jim Nance, while he was lined up and after he took the snap, called him Travis Kelsey. (laughs) And then on a big third down, Blake Bell made a big catch and got the first down he called him Travis Kelsey again. Maybe racist isn't the right word. He is positionist. Well, against I mean, tight he could ends. just he be racist. All he tight sees a white player on the could, field. Could be. And, you know. Could be. Uh, yeah, he thinks all tight ends look the same. Mm. Shame on him. Shame on you. Bad, Jim Nance. Um, all right, my number Don't three. Don't ever call me. <laughs> when you say hello, friends, in the future, you're not talking <laughs> yeah. to me because I'm no fr- friend of yours. Yeah. Hello, friends, and also tight ends. Um Number three, the Eagles will be a real Super Bowl contender next season. Now, what we mean by Super Bowl contender, that is, that is a very vague term and, and way of putting it. Um, but like right now in the NFC, for instance, I would consider probably all the way down to Arizona Super Bowl contenders. So that'd be like five teams in the NFC. I think they can get in that. Right now, they are a seven seed. They're probably going to make the playoffs this year. And they have three first-round picks. 
this upcoming year. That is a real chance to figure some things out. Now, it does scare me. I don't love their quarterback position. But if you can get, if you can get, if you can draft well and have a lot of cheap talent around that quarterback, this seems like the team to be next year. That there's always like one team who's the contender. Like for a while with Alex Smith, it was the Chiefs. There's usually one team who's a contender who they don't have the stud quarterback, but they have everything else around them. You're like, wow, I love that team. They could. I think that'll be them next year. They could very well be last year's Bills. Yeah, except that, that who ju- knows if Jalen Hurts takes that type of jump. That's, yeah, as far as the quarterback position, you're right. But I just mean a team that goes from good enough to make the playoffs to now they're for real in the NFC. Mm-hmm. And the Bills last year went from the year before being good enough to make the playoffs to now being for real in the AFC. All right, my final one. The Patriots owe Jacksonville money. Because that was an F- FCS team showing up to a team's home stadium to get an ass kicking uh, <laughs> to make their resume game. look good. Exactly. That was that was Alabama playing Georgia State is what that was yesterday. The final score, for those of you who didn't see it, I don't blame you if you didn't, it was 50-10. to 10. An absolute ass kicking. And by, those, by college standards... The Patriots owe Jacksonville approximately $500,000. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence has uh, gone from FBS quarterback to FCS quarterback now. That's what we've done here. Um, how about my loser of the week? This week, it is the New York Jets. They almost beat Tampa Bay. You're up 24-10. You feel good about yourself. The fact that you competed with the defending Super Bowl champions. And yet, with the loss, you still remain a high draft pick. In fact... They have two of the top 10 picks. They have two of the top seven picks. Their pick is fourth now because of the fact that they didn't win, but they also were competitive. And they have the Seahawks pick. Who the Seahawks? They picked a great year to have Seattle's first round pick. Yeah. Seattle's got the seventh pick right now. Jets will be rooting. They'll be joining us rooting hard for the Texans on Sunday. Why is that? Oh, yeah, that's right. Then they'd probably jump them in the, uh, the draft. So, loser of the week, the New York Jets. Congratulations to you. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk, two hours down, one to go on FM 1017, 1320, KLWN, KLWN.com. Depend on it.